Well, the good news uh, this morning is that uh, the inspiration for the, the homily, the, the second half, actually did come while we were out there. So uh, I, I always uh, kind of leave a little bit open for the Holy Spirit to see if something happens that I think I should talk about. And that, that happened. So I'm glad for that. Uh, the other interesting thing today that the Holy Spirit has kind of done is, of course, here in, in this place, uh, as a lot of the sites in the Holy Land, we often celebrate a special mass with special readings for this, this place. And so you hear again in the prayers, Jesus wept here and such things. But since Mike did such a great job already uh, going over the gospel that would be for this mass, you never want to give a, a homily following Mike because his are, <laughs> his are probably better. Um, so I, I couldn't help but notice that the Holy Spirit gave us today these beautiful readings that we have are from today. So if you've got your Magnificats or whatever, they're from, from Wednesday of, of this week of ordinary time. How amazing to start. Two points then. First half to the outside world, our evangelization mission. What, what do we have going out ad extra as it's talking about? And then what about ad intra? What about ourselves? And that's the, the second half that kind of came to me here. First half, the exterior, the the things that we can see. And that's where the, I thought the first reading today is just perfect for that. It's, it's the story of the, the covenant with King David. We remember that the city of David is none of this. It's that little finger of land where we were yesterday below Mount Zion, small little area. And at that time, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant, as it says, was, was in a, a tent. Remember when we were uh, visiting where the ark had gone when we were over at uh, our day at the visitation. We looked across to uh, Yearim, where the ark had been. And then he came to the house of Obed-Edom and came here. David finally, in his palace, which we have the ruins of right over there, he looks out and he says, you know what, here I am, I've got this palace, and the ark of God is in a tent. I should build a building. And he decides he is going to build the temple. But God comes to him, and in the, the reading today, there's a beautiful play on words. David is saying, I'm going to build a house for the Lord. And God says, no, no, you will not build a, a house for me. I, I've been in a tent. I've moved with you. There's, to some extent, God is saying he, he meant to be in a tent, that they could be mobile and, and move and go where, where God wanted them to. So God says to David, no, you will not build me a house, but I will build you a house. And here's, of course, the, the play on words. The house that God is talking about for David is not concrete structure, buildings, territory. It's, it's a royal house of a dynasty. And not, not for David's own sake, but for God's plan. God, in his plan from all eternity to send us the Messiah had willed that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David. And so God says, you think he will build me a building? No, I will build you a great dynasty. And he promises David that his heir, Solomon, right after him, would in fact build him a house. And Solomon does build the, the first temple, as we talked about when we were right up there. Right there, that beautiful temple stood that Solomon built. But even more than that, the temple of Solomon, God had in mind 
a covenant. And so he swears to David today, telling him, your house, your dynasty will last forever. Now we look out today, we see no house of God, no temple. They tried twice. Both temples were destroyed. And now a foreign religion has in fact built their site on top of it. What could be more insulting really to the dynasty of David? To say not, not only have we conquered your city multiple times, we destroyed the house that Solomon built. When the, the Byzantines were here, they deliberately left the Temple Mount completely empty to say, you know what, that, those days are gone. If the house of God were merely a building or merely a place, it's gone, destroyed. And it kind of made me sad to be up on the Temple Mount and have Mike say to us, this place means nothing for us. All right, not to ever contradict Mike, but <laughs> there's a reason why, why we sit here at the very place where Jesus wept over all that and look out there. And it, it does mean something even to us as Christians. It means ultimately this. Our faith is not in buildings, in structures, in territory, in, in claiming things that would give us what would seem to be security in this life. That's what the, the temple ultimately meant for the Jews. That's what the Ark of the Covenant meant. We, we talked about how they took it into battle against the Philistines and they lost it. It got taken captive because they put their faith in a, ultimately a box of wood. Jeremiah had to stand in front of the temple and curse it and say, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Like this is all going to be gone. Jesus wept right here to say, all this you see. And he looked out on the beautiful temple. He said, it's all going to be gone. That would seem that God has abandoned his covenant with his people. He swore to David, calling him his son. David, my son, your dynasty, your house will last forever. The palace of David, they're just now finding in, under the, the ruins of that city down there. It's gone. Temple's gone. Anything that be considered a, a house in a physical sort of way is gone. But the house that God built for David lasts. The last king of Israel, king of Judah, the last one, right? As the Babylonians were taking them into exile, the last thing that they did as they were taking them into exile is they brought the last king of Israel and they lined up his sons before him and they killed every one of his sons right before his eyes. And then they blinded the king and led him away in chains to Babylon where he died. Now that just, for Jews, would seem a disaster. That's, that's the end, isn't it? And then the angel Gabriel comes, tells Mary that she will bear a son, tells Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary into your home, for she is conceived by the Holy Spirit. When does the king of David return ultimately to his city? Well, he went right this way, went right by here 
on a donkey right up to that gate that is now all bricked up, rode in to cries of Hosanna to the son of David. Royal house of David, the promise God made to David was not forgotten. Jesus is the son of Joseph, of the house of David, of the tribe of Judah, from which the Messiah was always prophesied. God knew he would do it even when everything seemed to fall apart and there was no king, when there was even no Ark of the Covenant in the temple, Jesus enters the temple, the son of David, the royal Messiah. So I think the odd extra message for us then, complete confidence in the plan of God. Even if it seems that things fall apart, fine. That's happened many times. But secondly, we too cannot put our faith in buildings, and not even just physical buildings, but anything that would be an earthly establishment that would give us cause to say, now we are safe and secure. Okay, we've built lots of churches. Well, there are lots of churches in North Africa now that are in, in ruins that were once great Catholic churches. We're going up to Galilee, where, where Jesus went to the famous cities of those days, Chorazin, Visida, Capernaum. And he curses them and says, these, these cities will all be gone. Like, how can that be? They're the greatest cities. They're in ruins. We're not sure even where Bethsaida was today. You go to Chorazin, it's a little arch of a church. We're going to go to Capernaum. It was never rebuilt. All gone. So let us not look at the great cities of, of Rome. Even great things like St. Peter's Basilica. Are, you think St. Peter's Basilica is any more important than the temple was in the days? We could lose all our buildings. And as we know in our modern days of suffering in the church, we could lose all our money. We could lose all of our parish churches. And God would not have abandoned us. He would still be faithful because what will we have? We'll have friendship, good conversation, gathered around our blessed mother Mary in the rosary. And you laugh at that because like, we can't imagine the church today without buildings to go to. I'm, I'm no, no prophet, and I'm certainly not going to you know, stand up in, in front of Leewood and you know, say, you see St. Michael's, the day will come, we'll all be gone. Well, that day will definitely come. But we may look at the whole structure of the church right now in its earthly physical sense and say, it, it might be about on the verge of major, major change. I think Mike is right on this kind of intuitive instinct he has with the Holy Spirit. Why prepare now with... Friendship, good conversation, the rosary. Well, that's what the early apostles had. How did, how did the church spread? Not, not through buildings. They didn't get to make buildings until the fourth century, really, with Constantine. That's why everywhere place we go, we find that there's a, a Byzantine building built on the site. That's, that's 400 years it took to build buildings. Well, we, we might be heading back to a day when there are no buildings. How will we maintain the faith without money to build things without all the public works? What if we have to go into hiding again? God is faithful to his covenant and his call for us. And that, that brings me to the, the second half of, don't worry, the second half is not as long as the first half. Because, <laughs> um, no, this is, this is the part that came to me this morning. What does God want then? Because it's good to build buildings, okay? It's, it's wonderful. I love to come here 
and, and see the beautiful Catholic buildings. And those of us that go to Rome, there's, there's a great joy to, to enter St. Peter's Basilica. And I've been to the very tomb of St. Peter, and I am so thankful that we have it today. And I've been moved to tears to pray at the bones of St. Peter. Absolutely. To go to the empty tomb. We see that's, that's great. But what does God want more than exterior? Well, of course, we, we talk, he, want, he wants our heart. He wants the interior. And that's where this spot where Jesus wept, I think is so significant. And I, I tie it together with the church right next door to us, that of St. Mary Magdalene. Probably the two most famous weepers in Scripture. Jesus, we know, wept twice. And the fact that God would weep is amazing to us in our humanity. But Jesus, of course, wept at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, which is right up the hill, the tomb of Lazarus. I've been in it. It's empty. There's probably another tomb of Lazarus. We don't know somewhere, but the one he died in the first time is empty. I've been in it. So Lazarus died and Jesus wept. And then he wept again here in this place over earthly destruction. Sure but really over the just lack of faith, the thing ad intra that we need for evangelization is passion. Okay, so we, we need confidence in God's covenant and we need that, but then we need passion about that. And that's where I think Mary Magdalene is the great figure I want to bring before us today because we don't get to go to a, a place of Mary Magdalene and we're, we're right next door to the Russian church and we'll be up in Galilee by Magdala but we don't really have any other place to talk about her. So I think Mary Magdalene is a great image for us in the new evangelization because Mary Magdalene had something that the other apostles didn't have. She had passion, okay? And she had great confidence. Now notice people make fun of Mary Magdalene. You know, you can imagine Mary Magdalene busting into the upper room where Jesus is having dinner and she is weeping inconsolable washing Jesus's feet with her tears. Think about how many tears that would have to be to wash someone's feet with your tears. People would make fun of Mary Magdalene because there she is weeping again. You know, in, in France where her body is, they, they, they have the phrase of weeping like a Magdalene. Mary was known for always crying and being so emotional. If we were to see her today, we can imagine the apostles saying, Mary, get it together, okay? Stop it. But Mary had incredible confidence. She's like, no, Jesus is the one I must be with. If we want to know what it looks like for a heart to be completely in love and abandoned and passionate, Mary Magdalene is it. Her, her reputation had been so besmirched in modern times by these movies that make it out like Mary Magdalene is some kind of romantic love interest for Jesus or some temptation, like in The Last Temptation of Christ. Far from it. Mary Magdalene is the beautiful image of chaste passion for Jesus. And she did so as a woman. The greatest of the, the female followers of Jesus, the women who follow him, first of which is, of course, his mother, and then Mary Magdalene. Mary was confident to bust into a room full of men and people who would look at her and say, what is she doing here? Why is she doing that? She didn't care about any of that. She loved Jesus so much that she had to be there to anoint him before his burial. What did that lead to? That meant that Mary, rather than all the other apostles, was there on Calvary. 
What was she doing? Weeping again. She's at the foot of the cross, at the feet of Jesus again, weeping. She's not afraid to be passionate and to be right in the midst of the greatest pain and suffering there is. She didn't say, this is too hard for me, so I'm going to stay away. We imagine that's what inspired the other apostles. Why weren't they there? Maybe they're afraid and maybe they just do not want to see Jesus on the cross. Just cannot handle it. Mary says, now I, not only can I handle it, I have to be there. This will be the worst moment of my life, but I have to be there. I'm going to go through it. I will be at the foot of the cross. I will hold Jesus' feet again, just as I anointed him with my tears a couple days before. I will do it again on the cross. And so she's there weeping at the feet of Jesus. And what does she get for all this emotion and display of all being out of control, perhaps? Well, she gets ridicule from society. But then that same passion drives her to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. Why is she going? It says she, they assume she's going there to weep because that's what Mary does. And they make fun of her for her weeping. She doesn't care. She's like, I've got to be where Jesus is at because I am passionately in love with Jesus. And even if it's just his dead body, I am going to go and I will be at the tomb. And she doesn't even think wait a minute, how will I roll a stone back? I can't even do that. I don't care. I'm just going and I have to be there. And because of that passion that she had, Jesus gives her the gift to be the first to witness him risen from the dead and then sends her to be the apostle to the apostles. If we're called to be apostles, then brothers and sisters, to go out, to be sent and go spread the gospel, Mary Magdalene is our example. To go out passionately because ultimately God can handle if we're lukewarm not so much he can handle hot cold but not in the middle so the two halves together then buildings give us I think a false sense of security we're all okay we've got our buildings we've got our Catholic schools so surely we're handing on the faith because we have all these schools yeah that's that's not what's lasting What's lasting is that relationship with Jesus, friendship with Jesus, friendship with each other. We talk about it in the vine at, at St. Michael's. Mary Magdalene is the beautiful example of what it means to be a friend of Jesus. Now, the apostles, he called friends too, but her, she was a friend that was able to be there when it was all going wrong. She was there in the midst of pain, suffering, the passion, and she wept. And here Jesus wept. I think the question for us then is, are we able to be ones that weep? Weep because we are so moved with passion. And so I leave with the image of the, the sower today because how fortuitous that this ends where I, I was thinking of back in Bethlehem. We use the word humility a lot. <clears throat> humility means earth, recognizing our, our earthliness. And we see that in the parable today. But if we are not vulnerable, as I said back in Bethlehem, if we are not willing to be in touch with our emotion, to be passionate, if we are not vulnerable, then even dirt, even if we become so humble that we recognize we are dirt, hard dirt still bears no fruit. Even if we become so humble as to become dirt, we're still no good to God if we are not vulnerable in our hearts. The good soil is the one that can receive the seed. The hard soil, it all died. Pray that this pilgrimage then might be a time to open up that soil.
to get in touch with the passion that's in us and allow that out in each other, not to shame each other for our, our passion in a response like they did Mary Magdalene, but allow us to be different, a little crazy, to go out and spread the gospel like Mary Magdalene, passionately in love with Jesus. And if you've got that, then you don't need buildings or the temple or anything because we're the temple. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We go then as friends. That's what Jesus called his apostles, his friends. So let's have that friendship. Good conversation, meaning vulnerable, deep, sometimes weeping with each other conversation. And let us stay with Mary, our mother, the other one in the scripture who weeps as she stands by the cross of Jesus. If you're a weeper, you're in good company today.